0: Lord, thank you that you do call us to make a difference where we are. And Lord, as we read your word, listen to you, and open our hearts to you this morning. May we go away knowing that we can make a difference where we are, in your strength and by your power. Amen. Um, Just a little by way of an introduction, I I should... um, say who who I am, for those of you who may not know, um, as far as my family situation goes, I'm married to Paula and we have three children, Rebecca, um, who's just turned 18, so an adult now, quite scary, Um, Samuel and Emma, and then at the moment uh, we have living with us um, two children who are in foster care, uh, one of whom has been with us nearly a year now. Um, we've been foster carers for um, coming up for three years, um, so been involved with the whole process uh, of that for about four years. It takes about a year. Coming from that, though, um, being a father is actually a lot of fun, and many funny things happen. And... I've got a book here which is our family quote book. We were privileged to be on a course about parenting and someone suggested that you should write down when the kids say funny things. And we've kind of extended this so that actually if anyone in the family finds it funny, they can write it in here. And I just thought I'd read you a couple of things uh, from from this. Um, This one um, is uh, said by Samuel. When we were sat at the table, and he's holding a bottle of tomato ketchup ready to put it on his dinner. And he says this If you squirt this at someone, you won't die, but you'll be in big trouble. <laughs> and then um, again, uh, This is um, Samuel's first day at school. Uh, He's come home in the evening and he's got his first reading book. And uh, he throws it up onto a high shelf. And so I said to him, don't put it up there. You need it for school tomorrow. To which he replies, no, I don't. And so I said, don't you want to change it tomorrow? No, he said, I can read that one. And there's a book here of funny stories that sometimes we do, or I just like to read and remind myself just how amusing it can all be. But as we know, and as we've seen, things don't always go to plan. And um, I'd like us to try a little something, just to put us in the place of perhaps even um, what that girl in the video might have been feeling. For this, you'll either need um, a pen, and you can write on either the bookmark that you've got on your chair or your flyer, one your face-to-face flyer, or, or you can use your um, phone if you just want to. Basically, you've got to be able to write three words um, or remember three words, because I'm going to give you 30 seconds, and that is all. You're getting 30 seconds, and I'm going to ask you to choose, choose three things. I'm going to imagine take everything away apart from three things and you're going to be allowed one place, one object and one person. If you're married or you have a spouse, that's not your person, otherwise it's too easy. <laughs> so that's, that's it, you've got 30 seconds, go. Choose one person, one object, one place. Time's running out. You've only got 15 seconds. If you haven't chosen, you don't get any. One place, one object, one person. Five seconds left. Okay, that's it. Time's up. Now, imagine that's all you have left in the world. Those three things at least you've got those three but I'm going to ask you now to cross one of them off it doesn't matter which one you choose just take one of them away is anyone left with an object? no? yes? 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 a couple of people left with an object okay Alright, you've got two things anyway. So imagine that's all you had left in the world. You know where this is going, don't you? Take one away, what are you left with? You've got one thing. This is the thing that you would decide to keep now, if you could only keep one thing. Is anyone left with an object? Is anyone left with a place? Yeah, a few people left with a place. Yeah? Anyone left with a person? Okay. Probably the most popular. Okay. I'd like you to cross that person off your list as well. That's quite hard, isn't it? But do you know, sometimes for children who are taken into care, this is exactly what happens. They're left with all their favorite people, places, objects taken away. They have nothing. So what do they need? They need someone who will love them. Not because it's a good thing to do. Not for the money. But someone who will love them and let them be a part of their family. How do we do that? Well, this is exactly what God's done for us. So we can do it. We know what it's like to be adopted. We've already read that Ephesians passage this morning. And that says we are adopted into God's family. God takes you as an individual and places you into his adopted family that we might call the church what about that other one in psalm it's not so um well known perhaps let's um let's look that one up now if anyone um can reach that in the um, church bibles and call out the page number that may well be helpful for people Thank you. 582. So Psalm 68 and verses 4 to 6. Sing to God, sing praise to his name, extol him who rides on the clouds. His name is the Lord, and rejoice before him. A father to the fatherless, a defender of widows is God in his holy dwelling. God sets the lonely in families. He leads forth the prisoners with singing, but the rebellious live in a sun-scorched land. So as we consider these two passages, and you may want to flick back to that Ephesians uh, passage and see again, are you adopted? Do you count yourself as one of God's children adopted into the family of God? If so... Think about that adoption. What was it like? Were you perfect before God adopted you? Did you have to reach a certain standard? Did you have to earn God's love before you were considered for adoption? Did you do anything to persuade God to adopt you? God models adoption to us. Demonstrating unconditional love, not dependent on our character or our acts of good or bad. He adopts us into his family, graciously, with unconditional love, at great cost to himself. We were undeserving, sinful. Some of us may have even hated God. And yet, he's adopted us. And we've been transformed. We're not perfect now. But the act of adoption is the beginning of that relationship. That's what God does. That's what he's about. It's God's business. Providing for the fatherless. Those who are vulnerable, needy, lonely. God has a provision. He adopts them and puts them in a family. He does this with grace. Grace. Well, grace doesn't make demands, it just gives. And in fact, from our vantage point, it always gives to the wrong person. And we see that over and over again in the Gospels. Jesus seems to be giving to the wrong people prostitutes, tax collectors, half breeds, the most extravagant sinners. In Jesus' day, receive his most compassionate welcome. Grace is a divine vulgarity that stands caution on its head, it refuses to play it safe. Grace is recklessly generous. Uncomfortably promiscuous. It doesn't use sticks, carrots, or time cards. It doesn't keep score. It refuses to be controlled by our innate sense of fairness, reciprocity, and even handedness. It defies logic. It has nothing to do with earning, merit, or deservedness. It's opposed to what is owed. It doesn't expect a return on investments. It is a liberating contradiction between what we deserve and what we get. Grace is unconditional acceptance given to an undeserving person by an unobligated giver. It's one-way love. This is how God works. And He calls us to be gracious too, to model His grace. Really? God expects us to be like this? Well, that makes sense if we see ourselves as adopted into His family. We, the adopted children, start to take on the characteristics of the family, and especially the head of that family. And this call is explicit in both Old and New Testament. It's unchanging. Before the birth of Christ, God was calling his chosen people, the Israelites, to be like this. After the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and the establishment of the early church, this call was still being made. Let's have a look again then. One passage in the old, one in the new. And in fact, this one from the old um, has been very powerful personally uh, in speaking uh, God speaking into my life with this passage, um, and it has come up in our extended times of prayer here in the church as well. And that's Isaiah 58. Again, if anyone finds a number, it might be helpful to some. 744, thank you. This is quite a long passage, but... Um, That's fine, because this is God's word to his people. Isaiah 58. The prophet Isaiah is speaking to people who are called to follow God. Shout it aloud, do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their rebellion. And to the house of Jacob their sins. For day after day they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask me for just decisions and seem eager for God to come near them. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? Yet on the day of your fasting you do as you please. And exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarrelling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I have chosen, only a day for a man to humble himself? Is it only for one, bowing one's head like a reed and for lying on sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast? a day acceptable to the Lord. Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked, to clothe him and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, here am I. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. And if we turn over to James 1, 1,213, I think is the page number for that one. James is always one of those books that, to me, seems to change place. (laughs) So James 1, verse 22 to 27. This is picking up the same theme of Isaiah. But this is after the establishment of the first um, churches. And in fact, um, James writes to a specific church, but really to um, anyone who's in the church who will um, hear what he's got to say. So this is a very broad letter. Um, So verse 22, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror And after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he's heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. If anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this. To look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. (laughs) It's virtually the same thing. Don't just hear it, do it. And here are the things I want you to do, which is basically looking after vulnerable people, making sure everyone has those same benefits of being adopted into God's family. That's basically it. It's very direct and very clear. And those are just two examples of many references to that same call. This is real spirituality. And it's evident that we are to model this heart of the Father, full of grace, and to act just like he does. In fact, it's ridiculous to think that we don't need to or that we can't. Imagine my son, who loves riding his bike, falls off and injures himself outside your house. You rush out, help him inside, sit him down, give him a drink, tend to his wounds, And then give him a lift home to me. And when you arrive, I'm so pleased that you've treated him so well. Our friendship is cemented. Imagine my son, who loves riding his bike, falls off and injures himself outside your house. You text me and tell me I'm a great friend. Then you go on Facebook and you see one of my photographs and you tell me how good it is. And then you call me and say, we should get together. We haven't seen each other for a long time. We should arrange to meet up soon, maybe tomorrow. But my injured son is lying outside your house. So when I find out, I'm incensed. And whatever friendship we had, is over. We don't behave like that, do we? We can't. It's inconsistent with who we are and what we're called to be. We can't sing praises to God on Sunday and turn a blind eye to suffering and injustice on Monday. That's what James says is like looking in the mirror and then going away and forgetting all about it. We see what needs to be done and then walk off and don't do it. So what about um, starting to think more specifically then about adoption and fostering and caring for those in our community that, that need that love of the Father? Well, often when people realize that we're foster carers, I, I get told things like this. I could never do that. I would just love them too much. It must be very hard to say goodbye. And that always reminds me of those, yes, that I've had to say goodbye to. And that's quite possibly um, the most difficult thing that we've ever done. So, why start something that is going to involve suffering? Why adopt or promise a child a home for good when you know there'll be pain and suffering? <laughs> Why would you do that? I'm going to read you um, a bit from this book called Home for Good, which um, whether you're thinking about adoption or not, um, I'd I'd recommend this. It's it's an easy read um, in one way um, and a difficult read in another. Um, But this is a story uh, from there. Kevin and Cindy's first foster placement was a three-month-old baby girl with complex medical needs. The first night baby Katie was in their home, she stopped breathing. Fortunately, Kevin knew how to perform CPR and resuscitated her. But it was one of the many scares as they cared for this extremely ill little girl over the following months. Meanwhile, the social workers had been unable to reunite her with her family and were looking for an adoptive family for Katie. They did not have to look far. Jane Schouler was one of the social workers involved who fought on Kevin and Cindy's behalf for them to adopt their foster daughter. She wrote the following to the sceptical attorney who couldn't understand and therefore questioned Kevin and Cindy's motives. Kevin and Cindy live by a higher principle in life. It is called VRS. V stands for voluntary. No one is forcing them to make this lifelong commitment to Katie. They are doing it out of a supreme love for her. R stands for redemptive. Redemption means to restore dignity to a person whose life situations are difficult, painful and heartbreaking. Such were Katie's. S stands for suffering. Suffering means the loss of something for the sake of another. Kevin and Cindy have paid a high cost. Emotionally, physically, financially. In every way they have suffered. They would not call it that, but that is exactly what it is. This is why Kevin and Cindy are adopting Katie. VRS, voluntary redemptive suffering. Does that sound familiar to you? Instead of philosophizing about the suffering, Jesus models to us exactly this voluntary redemptive suffering. Choosing to walk with those who suffer. Even though it means a life of suffering ourselves, foster care and adoption is not bed and breakfast service for children. It is about voluntary redemptive suffering on behalf of children who've been traumatised. So, what are the needs? in the UK and Southampton. And what can we do? Because we can do. Here are the figures for the UK. So, quite a few children, but quite a few adoptions. But six per thousand, six per thousand of our children in this country are going into care. What about Southampton? Now, these figures are taken from a recent Ofsted report. Um, I've picked out some figures and some comments. Um, I think largely they speak for themselves. So in this city, there are 46,149 under-18s, as at the end of March. What percentage do you think in this city are classed as living in poverty? Just turn to the person next to you and say your guess. Unless you know, then <laughs> it won't be a guess. <laughs> All right then? Here we go. Anyone say higher than that? Not many. Could well be higher but I mean that's, that's the figures Ofsted are giving. That's Ofsted are looking at this city and saying 25% of the children in this city are living in poverty. Wow. And how many are taken into care then? Well, currently, and again, this is as at the end of March, this has undoubtedly gone up um, since then over the summer. 500 in care, and that is over 1% of our children. Let's put this another way. Here we are. Here's Southampton and Portsford Church, incredibly centrally placed. Now, imagine, look around and see everyone here. Imagine we all walked out those doors and we took a different direction. And we walked somewhere between three and five miles, depending in which direction. We would reach the edge of the city. And we'd all be there, stood in different parts, all around there. We would encircle 500 children in care. That's over twice as many people who are here this morning, I would say. Probably about three times. It's a lot of children. So, what's happened in the last year? Um, 30 adoptions. Remember, there were 5,050 nationally. 30 of those were in Southampton. Does Ofsted say anything else? Yes. Uh, I'm not sure if that's readable from where you are. Has this got a little pointer? Has this got a pointer? This says requires improvement for children who need help and protection. Children looked after and achieving permanence. So, in other words, they they get placed somewhere and they stay. That requires improvement. Adoption performance requires improvement. Experiences and progress of care leavers, that's children who reach the end of the system and then what happens to them next. That's classed as inadequate. Leadership, management and governance requires improvement. I'm not putting that up there so that we can say what a bad service we've got. Because that is completely unfair. I'm putting that up there and saying, what are we going to do about it? Because these things need to change if we are to model in this city the heart of God. Maybe you think, though, that is just too big a job and that uh, we really should let government sort that out. But that's not something we can do. We, we're powerless to really change stuff like that. Let's watch this little clip. Well, it's just a, a video, actually.
1: You can do with your life give your life completely to business and you see the money piling up be a health nut, eat right, go to the gym and your muscles will grow and your body will look good and you'll see results but when it comes to justice it seems like you just can't get ahead You patch up one hole and something else rips open. You bring peace to one region and war breaks out in another. You rebuild after an earthquake and a tsunami hits. And you work and you work and you work. And there's never any profit. There's no bank where you can store a surplus amount of justice in. Stability is never permanent. Something always tips and people always ask, is it even worth it? And that question though understandable, it's, I mean, quite frankly, it's ridiculous. And it rarely comes from those who are actually tired from pursuing justice and not just tired of the idea. It rarely comes from people who've labored for years and have good reason to ask it. And you know why they never ask? Those type of people become friends with those who suffer, family even. Because it's one thing to wonder if someone else's freedom is worth fighting for. But when you begin to identify with that someone else, commune with them, that's when the question is no longer worth asking. That's when it becomes offensive even. What do you mean, is it worth my time? That doesn't even deserve an answer. I don't care how long it is. I don't care how many times you fail. I don't care how little progress is made. You never stop fighting for your own.
0: Do you think God would call these children his own? Can we call them our own? Even if we just think of the ones in our city. What about even if we just think of the ones in our church? Can we call them our own and fight for them? So what's the church doing? Well, nationally, we have a charity. It's a fairly new charity, Home for Good. And you have some information on that on your chair. And there's more information uh, either when you go for coffee or at the foyer or if you'd like any more information. It's in, uh, or there's some website addresses and ideas in your face-to-face bulletin as well. So there's information everywhere or certainly ask someone or speak to someone who's been up here today. Um, but the thing is that the church is doing something and you can get involved with that Uh, many of you will know that in Southampton the families for 40 project has been um, a successful way of the churches engaging with local council and saying we want to help we want to be part of the solution to this and we will find foster carers people who look after these children and in fact um, the intention was to find 40 families and that is now over 70 So that's really good. As Christians, as the church, we can make a big difference. We will certainly be making a difference where we are. We've got plenty of examples in our church here at Portswood. And Rebecca is going to come and read um, a story for us now.
2: I've always believed in adoption, and I thought it would be something I'd do at some point. I guess I thought I'd get married and maybe have some birth children first, then adopt a few too. So, not married at 36, I thought I'd look into the possibility of adopting as a single person. I was surprised it wasn't a problem for adoption agencies. Obviously, that wasn't the only thing to consider. There was so much to consider. Could I get the time off work? How could I cope with becoming a single parent? What about finances? Would the child have a good male role model? What about emotional support, etc.? And also, most importantly, was this what God wanted? I talked to close friends and family and prayed lots. I sought advice from people at church and asked for prayer. I only wanted to go where God was leading. As exciting as adopting a child was to me, it was also a scary idea, and I needed to know it was right. I believe that adoption is in line with God's heart. The Bible talks lots about us being adopted by our Father God. To me, that's about rescue, a new start, something good being made out of something broken, a secure love, a promise of hope for the future. To adopt a child who is in care, who needs a family, seems to fit with that heart and was certainly something I was feeling increasingly sure I should do. My daughter has been with me over three months now. She is a lovely, fun, lively 14-month-old, and I feel incredibly blessed that we were put together. It was really scary the first few weeks as we got to know each other. I knew it would be hard, but I guess I didn't know exactly how it would feel until we were home alone together. But, and here's the point I guess I wanted to make, I would not have started this process of adopting Bethany without the love and backing of my family here at Portswood Church. My social worker has been seriously impressed by the support I've received. When Bethany first arrived and my social worker was visiting weekly, she would ask each week if my church friends were still bringing me meals. And I think it was week five before I could honestly say, no, that stopped. People have supported me in so many different ways. I could go on and on. Praying for us, praying with us, texts, cards, reminders of God's promises when I've really needed them, food, food, and more food... I was so grateful not to have to think of what to feed myself after a chaotic day of baby puree and mashed banana. Company in the evenings, someone coming round to have a glass of wine with me, someone phoning me up and making me laugh, people asking after Bethany, giving her presents, playing with her, giving her quick cuddles, if she'll let them, people offering to be there for her as honorary aunties, uncles, grandparents. For me, it's about knowing people are journeying with us in this. It's been so important to me, and I'm so very grateful to be part of such a loving church family. Thanks.
0: Thank you, Rebecca. And many of you will recognise Sarah's story there. Sounds just so ordinary, doesn't it? normal things but that's exactly it I guess normal family things for people who may not be uh, in that position to, to have them written something down because I wanted to share with you really about this weekend and I need to be a little bit careful in what I've said so I've I've written it Um, but this weekend in itself is an example for us Um, because just for today we find ourselves with five children who are in foster care and two of our own are by a previous arrangement with their grandparents and now I'm starting to wonder uh, whose arrangement that was um, but we're confident to help with situations and emergencies and we're confident to bring those children here now because we know people here won't just accept them yeah they'll do that but they go beyond that help out, encourage them show them love, show them care and that's a wonderful thing. We certainly couldn't do what we do without having so many good people backing us up, helping us. It enables us to be flexible, adaptable, because we've got your support. It's a huge thing. It makes a big difference. So what else can be done? What can we do? There are these, uh, this list here. Um, And there are things that might stop us from this. We might say, well, Christians, it's hard for Christians to get involved with social services. Social services don't really like Christians, do they? It's simply not true. Um, The city council and... Other councils around the country are acutely aware of how involved Christians are. What about, oh, I can't really love a child that's not mine. If they're not mine, I won't feel that love for them, will I? Well, people I've seen love pets. I've got a friend at work whose two dogs get far better care than a lot of children in this city. We do, we're made, we're, we're given that from God. We, we are able to love and care. And there are things like time and space and money and family circumstances that mean fostering and adoption may not be for everyone, but everyone can play a part. Even that support of another family, that is actually enabling Something to happen. It might be financial or practical. It might be supporting and encouraging those who work in children's services. They have an impossible job. In a sense, as, as a teacher or in many other professions, you might look at it and say, actually, I can do a good job by doing this and this. There aren't so many things that make it impossible. I think for a lot of people working with children's services, it's actually impossible so prayer for them support for them and prayer don't underestimate prayer it's easy for us to say well we could do one of those things and then add prayer in don't underestimate prayer um i'd like to share a, a quick story with you uh, um David Gill and myself, a good few years ago now, it might even be in double figures, I don't know, <laughs> but we, um, after one meeting, decided we would pray for each other on a regular basis um, for about a year to become more caring and loving towards other people because we felt that God wanted to change our hearts. And that prayer, and I've spoken to David about this last week, that prayer changed us. And we've, we've been, If you think we aren't more caring, you should have seen us before. <laughs> um, the 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 thing is that prayer changed us. God changed us. And you can give as well financially, and that obviously enables uh, people to spend more time. Uh, so, in summary, this is just verse ten from Isaiah 58 and i think this sums it all up. So does that sound like making a difference where you are? Your light will rise in the darkness. It's pretty noticeable that. You will make a difference. So I'd like to finish by asking for a response, really, where we can actually say to God, well, Lord, if you're calling me to something, what is it? Or, Lord, I feel you're calling me to whatever it might be. So that you can remember that, you've got the bookmark there on your chair. But I'd also like, perhaps, for you to consider standing up and moving about a bit. That's always a good thing. Um, In our next song, um, to perhaps come up the front and collect something from here, Uh, in this basket there are, I'm told by Paula, I haven't counted them, Um, I'm told there are 500 stones in here, Um, one for each of the children in care. In this city, they're taken off of Southampton Beach. So maybe if you think you'd like to take something away to remember to pray, to remember to give, to remember to seek God and say, How can I be involved? then during our next song, come up and if you want to take a handful, take a handful. If you want to just take one, take one. If you take a couple, take as many as you would like. So, um, we'll stand and sing our...